do appreciate songs. Songs that praise God. I have to tell you, uh, when they sang the song, Just As I Am, a lot of memories came flooding back to me. It's amazing. I hadn't thought of it in a while. Uh, 1962, July, a hot summer afternoon, Thursday. The grass field of a football field at a Billy Graham crusade. I heard that song as I went forward. It touched my heart. It's kind of like there are things and songs that come to your mind that make you remember things that you shouldn't forget kind of like there's some pleasant memories in our heart of smells of mom baking a pie and you walk in and you smell that smell and you think you're home so you want to eat their pie well that's not my message and I'll say good morning I'm so happy to be with you today and I've heard, heard a rumor there's some sort of a game today that uh, involves some sort of a local team. But I have to say for you who are here, uh, 50, 100 years from now, who won that game won't matter a stick. But the truths that you learn and apply from God's word in your heart today will be with you for eternity. You've chosen wisely to be here. Well, today we're going to be continuing our message in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I think it's important as I begin to just say this really is a challenging and difficult passage for some and for me. I think there's authentic believers in our Christian world who have different views on various matters in the Christian faith. Spiritual gifts is one of them. My goal this morning is not to elevate a view or put down a view. My goal is to just simply share what God's word says. God will align your view. It's not my job. God will align your view. See, God is the only one infallible. And when I read his word later, that'll probably be the only infallible thing I say all day. But it is. And we can trust it. So we want to do our best to understand this. And I want you to understand some other things. One is, on these matters where there is division where there are different views. People who have studied long and hard have landed at a different view. They do this on eschatology, the study of future events. They do this on spiritual gifts, where they come up and they say, I, I believe that this is true about spiritual gifts, and we say that is true. Let me say something right from the front. These are not issues of salvation and are not issues that should ever divide this church. Shouldn't divide any church. We hold certain things to be absolutely true. Did Jesus, is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Yes. yes. Are we saved by grace alone through faith in Christ? Yes. yes. These are absolutes. I, I will not negotiate these. I won't apologize for these. I'm not stepping down from these. But on the issue of spiritual gifts, on eschatology, I'm not fighting anyone because they are not spiritual salvation matters. God will align one of our views when we arrive in heaven. And in fact, he'll align some people's views earlier on the rapture 
then when they get to heaven. But we don't have to worry about aligning each other. We want to be united as a church because we are people, brothers and sisters, who all are saved through one thing, faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. So regardless of your view on any of the things that I might say today, know that I love you. My job is not to change your mind about anything, but I would allow God to change anyone's mind based on what he says. So let's open our text, and may he empower us all to understand what he wants us to understand. We're going to begin in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll start in verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who, speaks, who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the notes, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So you also, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I, be, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we study it this morning and look at this passage together, would you use it to communicate the true intent of your heart as you delivered it through Paul? That the church is about edifying. It's not about spiritual gifts as much as it's about love and edifying. May we catch what you're saying. May we do what you say. 
And may we use our heart, our soul, our spirit, and our mind to worship, adore, and serve and please you. We love you this morning. May your word be clear. And may the words of my mouth be understandable, intelligible, and edifying. Because they're your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I appreciate how the Apostle Paul really has dealt with the Corinthians all through the chapter of 1 Corinthians and the book of 1 Corinthians, but in 13, 14, and 15, I'm not sure, so sure I would have been so kind. Um, this was a really messed up church. Now, no church doesn't have its faults. No church. This church, believe it or not, has faults. Now, you're looking around for the person who's creating them but I don't have a mirror. So, this place needs God's help just as much. But even after dealing with other conditions and behaviors, um, I don't think we can really appreciate how bad the Corinthian church was. If we had walked into their church seeing the sign on the outside and seeing what was going on on the inside, we would have... I'm not sure I've been thinking we're in a church. I mean, when you look at this place and you see people being gluttonous and being drunk on communion wine while staring at their brothers who have nothing and are starving. Or perhaps we're watching people sue one another in court over who has the best parking spot. Or maybe we're watching people continue and unrestrained sexual immorality while the church all knows about it, watches it, and tolerates it in the name of grace. Or maybe they split the church into factions and they say, well, this section here is for people who listen to Todd. This, people, this, this section here is for Larry. This section's for Tim. And this section's for Pastor Phil when he fills in. What kind of church is that? It's a divided church. It's a broken church. And this church now was practicing spiritual gifts in the same broken way. They just were obsessed and seemed to think that there was one gift, spiritual gift in particular, that was the coolest, and that was speaking in tongues. It was the flashiest, for sure, because they could come up front, and you didn't have to live a life that had any character through the week, but you could stand up on Sunday and speak in tongues and be impressive. I'm sure nobody comes to church and pretends anything. It's, it's easy to do. But as we look through this, Paul writes in chapter 12 to address this and says, look, I want you to understand spiritual gifts. Everybody has one. Not everybody has them all. And not one gift is had by all. Are you hearing that? Nobody has all the gifts, and all the gifts, and one of the gifts is not had by everyone. So now as we look at this, he says, but the problem, the way you're using gifts is you don't use them in love. A gift not used in love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is useless and annoying. It's a clanging gong and cymbal. You ever heard a kid bang on something so long you wanted to choke him? That's a gift exercised without love. It doesn't accomplish anything that God wants accomplished. Well, then in 14, he says, well, how should gifts then be used? Because he's not putting down gifts. He's not saying, 
Love is more important than gifts, so forget gifts. That's not his message. His message is gifts have their place. And so let's hear what that is. And that key verse in chapter 12 that helps us set this up is to each one is given the manifestation or the gift of the Spirit for which purpose? For the common good. For everyone. For the good of the body. Well, I think one of the things this church had was a lack of love problem. And we might have that as well at times. But he says, love is the more excellent way, and let me share with you how gifts should be used. And he starts off, and he gives them three instructions in these verses that I'm going to cover today. Three primary instructions. And the first of his three instructions are found in verses 1 to 5. And that instruction is that we are to make a point in the church to use only those gifts that edify in the church. Are you hearing me? Only the gifts that will edify the church should be used in church. See, I think the issue here is that people were using gifts in the wrong place. Can you use a gift in the wrong way? Well, you sure can. And Paul's trying to give us instructions. The first instruction, though, he reminds them of something that's important. What are his first two words? Pursue love. Now, this is a command. This is an imperative. This isn't a great suggestion for you all. He's not saying, I recommend love. It's a really a better way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, pursue love. Dog it. Chase hard after it. Go after love diligently. It's the same thing Jesus said. I give you a new command, that you love one another. What happens when we don't love? What, is, what are we doing? When we don't love, like God says we should love, what are we doing? Are we just slow to learn uh, we just haven't mastered that yet no we are in sin to not do a command of God is to sin now does God forgive us yes does that where he wants us to stay no he's commanding something that is necessary and essential for us all we all want love we all need love but he's saying it's up to you and me to do it it's the, and he says pursue it and, and we're supposed to pursue a God quality of love, not what the world puts out on TV or what we see in our friends. That's a passing, fickle, emotional, non-committed love. God's love is a sacrificial, committed, do everything for the benefit of other love, a dogged love, a love that doesn't give up never gives up, never fails. That's God's kind of love. And the only people that have that kind of love are those that have his spirit and the fruit of his spirit. What's the first fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5? Love. So if you have a love problem, don't just go, mm, I'm going to try to love. You need to get the fruit of the spirit active in your life. God will change your heart so you can love. You don't have the capability, and I don't. I can say I love you all day long, but I may not be loving you. Words, I know my wife said this to me one time before. Talk is cheap. People are convinced by our actions, not our words. Well, what is the other thing that we could look at about this pursue love before we move on? Jesus said, you will know 
that they are my disciples because they have the theological truths correct. You will know that they're my disciples because they got tons of spiritual gifts. No. He said, you'll know they're my disciples when they treat one another right, when they love one another. That's when you'll know. So my question to this church right now is we know that this is what the problem was in Corinth. It was a loveless church. It was a selfish church. It was a church that pursued the wants and needs of the individual over the body. What about Valley? How are we? What's our grade? I mean, if everybody at Valley Bible Church loved people just like you do, no better, no worse, how loving of a place would Valley Bible Church be? How many people would know they're loved? Would this be a place you'd want to come? Maybe you're coming because you like to receive the love. We all need to be people who share the love, who love one another with deed, not just word. I think Valley needs to be just the same listening to this. We're not here to see what we can get out of church. We're here to love one another, to hear the word of God, to be edified, and to show how God loves them. Each person, share our gift. Well, he doesn't, he's not trying to bang on gifts, though, because he continues the same word after pursue love with yet desire spiritual gifts. Now, I have to say this. I think many people are too confused over this phrase, desire spiritual gifts. I've heard some interpret it this way. Ooh, if I desire that gift, I should tell God, and he'll give me a new one. Is that what Paul's saying here? No, he's not saying, hey, you, when you feel like you need a new gift or everybody wants to sign up for tongues, just go ask God and he'll just, oh, I guess I missed that in my sovereign and divine plan to distribute gifts. No, he didn't miss a thing. You received exactly what God wanted you to receive. No more, no less. And he wants you to use what you have received. But he's not asking us to get in line here and ask for more. Please, God, may I have another? That's not this. He's talking to the church, and he's saying, church, you're meeting together, and there's a lot of nonsense going on. You need to seek those people in your midst that have the gift that edifies the church. You need to put them on the platform. Put them up front. Don't put gifts that don't edify up front. That's what he's saying. So now, and he even says here, that we should uh, look at the two gifts that he's going to highlight as a contrast. One is prophecy and one are tongues. Now, we believe both of these gifts have, have ceased for the church world today. If you believe differently, that's up to you and God. I'll show you why we believe what we believe. Prophecy, what is that? It's not what the world thinks it is. Prophecy to the world is more like fortune telling. Uh, and even in the church, it can be a new word from God. God has given me new insight on how to run church. Really? No, he's not. There is no new insight from God. We have the revealed word of God, and it is complete. This is it. We don't need a new word from God. 
So in Paul's day, being a prophet was simply someone who God spoke directly to, revealed his message directly to a person, and that person spoke or wrote that revealed message to the people in a language they could understand. That was a prophet. So it's someone who really shares a message from God. Now, can we do that today? Can we still actually accomplish what Paul says is that prophecy should be preferred in the church? I'm not going to stand up here and give you a new revelation from God. That's not what I'm here to do. But I have a revelation. It's called an inscripturated revelation. And I have full authority when I speak to say, this is what God said. And I will. Because this is what God said. Now we have to deal with it. Okay, that's what a proclaimer of the word of God should do, is he should actually use the word of God and help people to understand what is being said in God's word, not come up with a new message. We don't need a new message. We need to explain the one we've got. Well, what about those that speak in tongues? Well, don't get it weirded out about maybe some experiences you might have had. I don't know if you've ever been in a tongue-talking church. I have. I remember actually kneeling at an altar once when I was about 16, and I was not yet informed about these truths, and I was trying to be filled with the Spirit a second or third or fourth time. I don't know what it was, but I was trying in my most sincere way to speak in tongues, and it just didn't happen. And I said, well, I'm broken. I felt bad. I felt second class, and I finally learned that no, that's not true at all. You're not. You have all of the spirit that you will ever have, even through eternity. Did you know, believer, today, that when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you get the whole person? You don't get a leg or an arm or a foot. You get the whole person of the Holy Spirit. You can have no more of him in eternity than you have right now. You have all you will ever need. The question is, is how much of you does he have? That's the question. Not how much of him do we have, but tongues is just another word for languages. Don't get weirded out. It's another word for language. In fact, the Greek words used in these passages and in Acts are glossa and dialectos. Now, do you hear any English words coming out of glossa and dialectos? Glossary, dialects. What's that imply? Real words, real meaning, real languages. Tongues were a real language. The difference was it was unknown to the person speaking it. They had in their minds a message they wanted to say, but they didn't know how to say it in Swahili. God says, hey, there's someone in here in Swahili that needs a sign that I'm here. Speak that message in Swahili. I don't know Swahili. Fine, I got it. But they didn't even know what they were saying when they were speaking Swahili. That's why a person needed to have the gift of interpretation. Well, so prophecy is simply speaking or writing a message we couldn't know unless God revealed it in words that people can understand. And tongues is simply speaking a message you already knew in a language you don't understand. Is that clear? Okay, so moving on, Paul wants to give us some truth about these things. What does he want to say? He says, well, the number one thing I want to get to all of you about using, using your gifts is not how flashy they are or how important they are one to another, but do they edify? 
And so he says in verses 3, 4, and 5 the following things. I'm going to excerpt out of these verses. Verse 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. In verse 4, he repeats, one who prophesies edifies the church. One who speaks a message of God edifies the church. You hear that? One who speaks the words of God edifies the church. Five, greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. What's the common theme? Edification. This is what we're about. Do you see his point? Church is to be all about edification. If it does not edify, it does not belong. It's simple. We're not here to waste people's time. And Paul said in Ephesians 4, he gave gifts to the church. And what were those gifts for? They were speaking gifts, by the way, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And if you look at this list of speaking gifts, you'll notice a great glaring omission. Tongues is missing in this list. And here's what he said. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up, the edification of the body of Christ. That's the reason for gifts and reason for church. And he instructs them, all spiritual gifts aren't designed the same way. Not all spiritual gifts will edify the entire assembly. So prefer the ones that do. Sounds simple? Okay. So what he stresses what people need to hear is the word of God. And why? And I love this. In verse 3, he gives us three delicious truths. I want you to get these. There's three divine benefits if you, this morning, hear the word of God. One, you will be edified. You will be built up, made stronger. Well, who here feels like they're as strong as they ever need to be in the Christian life? I don't see a lot of hands. If you want to be stronger in the Christian life, what does God say will do it? Hearing of his word, reading his word, being exposed to his word. That's how God provides you both edification and strength. It says also, too, people will be exhorted. What's that? They'll be encouraged. They'll be motivated. They'll be spurred on. They'll be encouraged to move on and press on. Do you need that sometimes? I sure do. You also will feel not alone. God wants to come alongside you. This is what the Word of God does. It comes alongside you. When you're in sadness and grief, it's nice to have someone come and put his arm around your shoulder or her arm around your shoulder, right? It is. That's what it says the word of God will do. It will come alongside and encourage you and support you and motivate you to press on. It also, three, will give you consolation. Wow. I know a lot of people have been through some grief this last year. Hard times, trials, struggles. This is what he says. God's word provides comfort, consolation, and hope to the people. Let them hear my word because it will do something for them. See, one of my favorite passages on hope and consolation and encouragement comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. You might want to mark these in your Bible if you haven't. Now may the, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us. Wow, that's even great right there. He's loved us and given us temporary comfort. No, eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. 
You know what? Your friends can come and put their arm on your shoulder, but they go home at night. Do you know what the Word of God does? It never goes home. God provides you eternal comfort. That comfort will go right from now through eternity. He will never stop comforting you, and His primary tool right now is His Word and the Spirit of the living God. So God's Word does something in the hearts and the minds and the emotions of His people that nothing else will or can do. They will be edified, made stronger, exhorted, encouraged to press on, consoled, comforted, so they can make it even when life is hard. Is life ever hard for you? This is what we need. This is what I need. This is what you need. You need the Word of God. Well, I'm going to press on because if we look at this in verse 5, verse 4, He says, uh, the gifts were given in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 for the common good. To serve others, 1 Peter 4, 10. Speaking in tongues without translation was a gift that only edified the speaker. So if you had a gift that would edify one or a gift that would edify all, which gift do you think you should use? All. It's pretty common sense, isn't it? And that's all Paul's saying here. Use the one that edifies all. But then he goes on to say, but I wish you all spoke in tongues. Wait a minute, double talker. You just told me tongues weren't very valuable. Don't do it in church. And now you're telling me I wish you did it. It's a turn of phrase. When Paul said, I'm single, I wish you all were just like me. Was Paul wishing that the entire church went celibate and there was no more families after that point, and the church died out in the first century. Is that what, that, is that what he's... No. He wasn't hope, wishing that everybody become unmarried. He's saying, I think there are advantages of being unmarried, but do what God leads you to do. Similarly here, and as Moses did in Numbers chapter 11, people were prophesying. Joshua was concerned that the prophet of Israel, Moses, was having his territory horned in on by these other upstart new prophets. And he came to Moses and said, hey, Moses, Moses, these guys are prophesying without your permission. And Moses said this in verse 29 of chapter 11 of Numbers. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Did, did Moses really expect everybody to be a prophet? No. He just thought that, hey, if the Lord's Spirit rested on all these people, I would have a lot less trouble managing this group. It's like there are positives to doing what these people say. I wish you all had the gift of tongues, just simply that I wish you all were blessed by God and had gifts that would edify the church. But I'm not wishing everybody to use tongues. So all I want to say at this point, because when I look at this, I have to say that uh, Valley Bible Church must be about proclaiming the word of God. Not a social message. Not a current event message. But the word of God. Because every, we as a church are called to, every teacher here is called to, to put the highest emphasis on clearly and understandably speaking the word of God so that people will be edified, strengthened, encouraged, motivated to do 
and to press on in this Christian life. And it has to be done in love. Or it's nothing. Well, the second point that Paul makes is clarity and understandability as I mumble the word. Clarity and understandability is loving and essential to edification. You won't edify anyone if they can't understand you. Did you know that? If you come up to them and say, blah, 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 and you know they feel so edified. See, Paul makes his point that a use of a gift that doesn't edify has no place in the corporate worship. And he begins to say that, and even if I, the apostle Paul, the one gifted in tongues and in many gifts and miracles, the miracle-working Paul, the one who can heal people, even if I come and speak in a language that you don't understand, what good is that? There is no benefit no matter what status you think you are as you stand up here. As I stand up here, just because I'm a pastor, I have no more right or under God to say anything that you don't understand than the brainiest or the dumbest. It doesn't matter. Paul's saying, my credentials don't give me permission to mumble in the church. And we shouldn't be given that privilege ourselves. If I start mumbling, you should move me out. That's not what the pulpit's for. See, and he's saying, by the way, if I had to say blah, 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 aren't you improved? No. And he says four things. Revelation, prophecy, knowledge, and teaching. This is what my speaking should convey. And what is revelation? Revelation is simply a word from God, either directly revealed to the prophet or in his word. And when he speaks it, he's speaking prophecy. Did you know that? That's all prophesying is, is speaking what God has revealed. And it says, and knowledge and teaching. That's another pair. A teacher can only teach what he knows. If he doesn't understand it and he doesn't know it, he's no way he's going to teach it. And that's the problem with some of our schools, actually, today. Was we have teachers that are teaching classes they're learning on YouTube five minutes before the class. They don't understand it. It's hard to make anything interesting, understandable, if you don't know it. Well, what's he saying? Great words that are not understood are useless to the hearer. And so if I intentionally try to use words to impress you, to show you how much I've studied, how many Greek words I've learned. If I use theological terms that are mysteries to you, God's saying there's two things about me that you know. I'm not loving you, and it's of no use to you. It's useless. So I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you I don't care about you if I do that. And I do care. So I hopefully I am clear. Why did God, I think there's one other thing. There's another effect that I will create if I speak unintelligibly. I will divide the church. What did God use to separate people? At the Tower of Babel, he did what? He confused their languages. Why? So they'd move far apart from one another. If I speak in an unintelligible language to you, you're going to split. Or it'll split the church because somebody will not want to hear that and somebody will tolerate it. Unclear words divide churches. 
We need to be clear in this pulpit. That's what Paul is saying. Well, he gives two examples in Scripture from verse 7 and verse 8. Lifeless things like the flute or harp must produce notes that people understand. Has anybody had a child in their home that learned from scratch to play an instrument? And as they first brought that instrument home and you heard the sounds coming from that room, you thought somebody was dying, you were afraid, you wanted to strangle, as you said, good job, dear. <laughs> See, when people start to play an instrument, they could have a Stradivarius in their hands, but it could still sound like the cat's dying. Right? He's saying it's not the instrument's fault. But instruments were created to communicate meaning. Do you know that's why songs can make you happy? Songs can make you sad? Why? The arrangement of the notes, the pattern of the key, all have their effect in communicating a message. They're supposed to. Our words are intended, like Paul says, to communicate a message. If I'm up here just mumbling, what good was that? That's like the kid learning to play an instrument. How about the next one? He said the bugle call. He said this. If the bugle or the horn, because he didn't have a bunch of bugles at that time, produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? I mean, the army has used bugle calls for hundreds of years to announce what the troops are supposed to do because it's a clearer, more broadly dispelled message that could reach people at a distance. But imagine with me for a moment that you're in a tough situation on the battlefield. Your head's down, bullets are flying, the enemy's in front of you, and you hear this. What are you supposed to do? Charge! Attack! See? Out of just sounds, you got a message. Okay? What, what, but let's say you're in the same position. The battle looks overwhelming. They, they look like they're winning. Um, and you say, well, should I charge? or And you hear this. Okay, now what do you do? That's retreat. You better run. You think that would be good to know, wouldn't it? If you're on the battlefield and everybody left you and you turn around and you're the only one left because you didn't understand the message? Okay, but let's say that in this battlefield that we have in life and you come to church and you want to hear a clear message, a clear word from God and you're like this soldier now on the battlefield and we go back to the cavalry days and he's on the battlefield and then he's waiting, what do I do, what do I do? And he hears this. Does he supposed to get down with the groove? <laughs> What's he supposed to do? He, all the soldiers will be looking at each other and all the church members will be looking at each other and say, what are we supposed to do now? Just because an instrument, a voice, was used effectively with articulate words without meaning, it doesn't help anybody. They can't take action. They can't do what God is saying. That's all Paul's saying here. He said, look, your words have to have meaning or it's useless. 
And you have to understand something else. He says, if, I, if you don't understand me and, and I don't understand you, we're like barbarians. He's not saying we become uncouth, unmannered people. A barbarian was simple a, per, a person in the Greek world that didn't have Greek as their native language or didn't understand and speak Greek. That's all that meant. So if I speak in a language you don't understand, I become a barbarian to you. Okay, but what's the impact of that? Well, you don't understand. And if you don't understand, I'm not very loving. And I'm not helping you understand what God says. Dr. Ironside, I think, told a preaching class once, he said, you gotta put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Now, he's not talking about cookies. He's talking about the word of God has to be placed where people can understand it. It can't be used in high, eloquent, theological terms that no one gets. What's the use? If I don't say something that actually you understand, then I'm not doing my job. I'm not loving I'm dividing the church, and it's wasting your time. Do you hear me? Any preacher that comes in this pulpit should not waste your time, should not say things that are useless, should not speak over your head, should not demonstrate a lack of love, should not demonstrate a lack of clarity. Clarity is needed, just like that bugle call. We don't need people dancing in the pews. We need them taking the action that God says. Well... I'm not up here to impress, and no pastor should. If any pastor starts doing that, you need to remove them. Even if I'm not speaking in an unknown language, if I speak English poorly or unclearly or over your head, I need to stop. So do we, uh, how do we speak to one another? Do we speak to impress? Learn big words? Anybody ever done that where they tried to learn a word a day so they could really wow people? Okay. Well, this is not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to impress. Paul says we need to speak. It's critical in the church. If edification is critical, clarity is critical to edification. And the last thing he says is worship and prayer requires both our spirit and our minds. Paul in verse 13 says, my repeated goal was to edify and build up the church and nobody should speak in a language that no one understands. If you're a tongue talker, before you ever open your mouth, you better verify and pray to God that there's someone that can translate. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. That's what Paul's telling him. If there's no one to interpret, be quiet. What about praying in tongues at home? Uh, and there's no one to interpret. I'm by myself. Does God have anything to say about that? Is that, is that okay or is that bad? Or, well, Paul in verse 14 reminds them, it says, be aware that when you pray in a tongue, even the person speaking does not understand what they're saying. Not to mention the church did, would not understand if we did it there. And therefore your mind remains disengaged, unfruitful. Now Paul's not advocating an unfruitful mind. He's not. It's not a good thing. And in verses 15 to 19, he shows why that's not a good thing. He first says, look, when I pray, I need to pray and worship both with my spirit and with my mind. If I sing, I need to sing songs, not that are catchy and the spirit feels perky. It has to be truth. It has to be with my mind. What did God say? Those, and Jesus said in John chapter 4, those who worship him, the Father seeks those to worship him, to worship him in what? Spirit and truth. Truth is absent from the mind. If you, if you don't have a mind, you don't have truth. 
Truth is the critical ingredient that equips and enables the mind to worship. If you don't have truth, you can't worship the true and living God. Truth is incredibly important. Well, what did Jesus said the most important commandment was to what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can we worship God with heart, soul, and strength? No. Mind. He, he wants your mind engaged. He wants you to know. Why? Because your mind is what knows the faithfulness of God. Your mind is what knows the scriptures. Your mind is know, knows what you need. Your mind is where all that stuff is stored. How do you pray without your mind? What would you pray about? I don't know any of my needs. I don't know the promises of God. I don't know how he's delivered me in the past. But I'm going to worship. No. Our mind is critical. And he tells us that. In verse 16, he says, Otherwise, if you bless, speak, or praise, or pray, in the Spirit only, you don't engage your mind, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? Well, now the ungifted here, don't get twisted, is not the person without a spiritual gift. Ungifted simply is the Greek word for ignorant of, or unskilled in, or unaware of. So if the person who is unaware of the language you're speaking or unskilled in the language you're speaking, how can they say amen? They don't know what you said. Anybody ever been in a church where it was all in another language? Even a great church. Anybody had that experience? How edified were you? Only thing you could do is see the joy on people's faces, and that's it. You didn't know when to stand up, sit down, bow down, open your Bible. You were just, okay. Everybody else said amen. Oh, amen, I guess. We don't know when to say amen. That's Paul's point. Because he says, even if you are giving thanks, the other person's not edified. Then in verses 18 and 19, he gives a personal illustration. He says, hey, even I speak tongues more than everybody, so I'm not a, a tongue critic. I'm not one who's unaware of tongues and just wants to tongue bash because I don't speak in tongues. I'm a tongue talker more than all of you guys. But... I'd rather speak only five intelligible words to the church than 10,000 unintelligible words in a tongue. What's he saying? Ah, he's giving us a holy math ratio. No, he's not. He's not trying to give us a math equation. Five equals 10,000, so 10 equals 20,000. No, that's not the... His point here... Because myriad, the word he used for 10,000 was a Greek word, which was the only the Greek word that represented the highest number ever given a single word in Greek. In American, in English, the highest word we have is googleplex. Did you know that? A googleplex is 10 followed by 100 zeros. And there's a word for it. And that's where the company Google got its name because they have a ton of information. Okay, a Googleplex. So Paul's point here is real simple. I'd rather say just a very few words that you get than the highest number you can think of a word that you don't understand. Is that clear? This is what Paul's point is. That's what church should be about. Church is not about how long I preach, and then sometimes I know I preach too long and maybe not long enough. But the point is, it's not about the number of words. It's about the clarity and the meaning and the, what the message of God is to your heart. If we're not loving one another, if we're not communicating with one another, if the speaker is not pro proclaiming the words of God clearly, we're wasting people's time. Yeah. 
We're not here for the reason that God says. So what should we do about this? Pretty simple. We just need to love one another like he says and obey the command and not be in sin. We need to make sure that this pulpit is filled with people who proclaim clearly the word of God and what we should do about it and not give a bugle call that people want to dance to but don't know what it means. Well, let me just wrap this up. The problems in Corinth were a lack of love and a misuse of spiritual gifts. Um, They weren't being loving and edifying. Things that we could easily do if we're not careful. And by pray, by the grace of God, we will not become any of these things. See, because no one's going to be impressed with your spiritual gifts at the end of the day. Did you know that? They don't care how many spiritual gifts you have. But they will be impacted by your love. I guarantee it. People cannot be helped but be impacted by people who love them. And so the adage is true, and we've heard it in this pulpit many times. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Teachers, pastors, saints, let people know how much you care. Not just in word, but in deed. Well, three things I want to take you to take with us, all of us to home. We must remember that the focus of public worship is to edify. So this church always needs to be on guard and elders and deacons and pastors talk about this maybe often that what we have to do is guard the services of this church. Did you know that things can creep in that'll just not be edifying? They'll take up time, but they won't be edifying. That's one of the reasons why we went to the video format of our announcements. Did you know that? It's one of the very reasons. We want to spend more time edifying and proclaiming the message of God and singing of his excellencies than hearing messages about the car wash or anything else. You didn't come to hear that, I'll bet. You probably didn't come to hear how many cupcakes we have. You probably didn't come to hear the administrator, see the gift of administration in action so you can hear how the carpets will be cleaned. Boy, that'll really motivate you. We need to focus to make sure that edification is number one. Two, spiritual, all the spiritual gifts don't edify. All the spiritual gifts are important that are still active today. They're just as critical to the body of Christ as another. There's no one more important. The body can't say, I don't need you, you're just a foot or you're just an ear, all the gifts are necessary. But some are designed actually for private use between individual believers. You know, the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, you know, these things are actually one-on-one gifts. They're not to be practiced in here as a whole, and in most part, you can't. You have to go meet with that brother or sister and come to their aid. Render mercy, render help giving. You didn't come to see somebody give, did you? Oh, we're going to watch Fred as he gives his big gift because he has the gift of giving. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, third, you, can't, you, well, you can only, worship must be focused on what you can understand. You cannot do, repeat, practice, or put in your life anything you don't understand. Teachers can't pass it on, and you cannot do If we start becoming ecstatic over things that we don't even know what they mean, then that's zeal without truth. We have to understand with our minds, our preaching, our teaching, our attendant. What we do has to engage our minds here or we're not doing what God says we should.
Well, I'm just going to close because I think we need to just close with this thought. Even life-changing messages, like the message that Jesus Christ came as a man, died on a cross, was buried, dead, rose on the third day, rose to heaven, and lives on high. And if we put faith in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer and Rescuer, we will be saved and forgiven. That message will not have any impact if it's not understood. No one will be saved if you don't speak it clearly. If you want to mumble it in a tongue, you will not have any impact. It's useless. But you in here and I will not be edified if we don't speak to one another clearly. Second, I think, is the more excellent way is to pursue love. And we do that when we edify in love. Clarity, intelligibility, understanding, proclaimed from the matchless, unfailing word of God. That's what this pulpit has been for for 50 years and needs to be for until Jesus comes again. If anyone stands in this pulpit and does not follow those guidelines of speaking God's word in a clear, intelligible, loving way, we need a new person. We need a new person. It's the high call of the church. But I want you to hear me. Let's do this together. We need to do it together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you gave gifts to the church. And they're useful. They're necessary. And no gift is greater than another, but some gifts are for corporate worship. And those gifts are for what the primary purpose of the church is to build up and edify the saints for service and for evangelism and for ministry so that we might spread the kingdom of our Lord, Savior, and God, Jesus Christ. So Father, give us the ability to be clear. Give us the ability to be loving. Give us the ability to be understood. And give us, Father, a heart for everyone who sits here that what we say and do, not only from this pulpit, but in every classroom and every conversation is done to edify your beloved saints. In Jesus' name, amen.